0: To read this morning's sermon text, and you can turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. If you're using one of the chairback Bibles nearby you or in front of you, you'll find this morning's text on page 923. I want to take all 28 verses in view before us this morning, so let me read all of Acts 14 and then pray for a time, and we'll then begin together. So uh, listen now as God does speak to you. Through his perfect word. Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia. and they went to the surrounding country, and there they continued to the preach the gospel. Now at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked, and he listened to Paul speaking. Paul, looking intently at him, and seeing that he had the faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying, In Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance of the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd, crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news, that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations he allowed the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. And even with these words they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to God's grace for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them. And how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the The word word of the Lord stands stands forever. Let's pray once again. Our Father, we ask that you would bless our hearing and study of your truth this morning, knowing that the truth is found in your Son, Jesus Christ. The good news of salvation, which is even portrayed before us in this text, and that you would help us in the midst of whatever sin is crippling us, that we might stand up and walk with newness of faith and repentance this day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the better known missionaries in the English-speaking world uh, during the 19th century was a man named Hudson Taylor. He founded the China Inland Mission Uh, which was one of the first missions that sought to take the gospel to that country and those peoples. And as his fame grew over in Britain, there became this increasing number of applications made to the China Inland Mission uh, for missionary service to join Hudson Taylor and his team there in taking the gospel throughout that area of China. And there was one time when he had gathered together a, a group of applicants. And he asked them, Tell me, what's your main motivation for being a missionary of Jesus Christ? Someone said, well, my motivation is obedience to Christ's command that we preach the gospel to all peoples in all nations. And another said, well, uh, my main motivation is uh, I'm desperate to preach the gospel to souls, millions of souls that are perishing. And the answers went on in this way for uh, a few different minutes. And as the story goes, Hudson Taylor at the end looked at them and said, while all of those motivations are good none of them will sustain you through the testing and the trials that belongs to missionary service. He said, but there is one thing that will sustain you through such testings and trials. And he said, it's the love of Jesus Christ. And the reason I tell you that is because we know it's a conviction with which the Apostle Paul would agree. Because as I read the text, surely you noticed, even though it kind of goes quickly in the passage, uh, we find Paul in our text today only a few breaths away from death and he keeps going in his missionary service. And what keeps him going to see the gospel advance in the known world but what he told the Corinthians was his main motivation. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. So we're going to see along the way this morning in our chapter what happens to a heart commissioned by God and controlled by Christ's love. Uh, If you remember where we left off two weeks ago, we we found this apostolic missionary team, Barnabas and Paul. They were in the area there of Antioch in Pisidia. And as was the custom, uh, they came into the town, and on that Sabbath day, the first Sabbath they were there, uh, Paul went about preaching in the synagogue. And it was a a sermon that declared uh, Jesus Christ was the long-expected. He was the long-awaited Messiah. Of the Jewish people and his preaching was powerful enough that the people begged him to return the next Sabbath day and preach again and he showed up seven days later he preached again and the text tells us the Jews began to revile this gospel message they stirred up persecution against the apostolic team but but the Gentiles Hearing that this salvation was for them, they rejoiced and glorified uh, the word of the Lord. But it was the persecution stirred up by the Jews that caused this missionary team to move out from Antioch and Pisidia. And before they moved out, and notice what we're told they did in chapter 13, verse 51. In a sign of, of judgment, in obedience to what Christ has told his apostles in the Gospels, we're told they shook off the dust from their feet, against them, that being the Jewish persecution, and they went to Iconium. So chapter 14 picks up the story of what happened with the advance of the gospel in Iconium, and we're going to see not just there, as hundreds of miles and many months will transpire in the course of our single chapter. And what unites those many miles and those many months is something that we're told, look at the end of our passage in verse 27, where Paul and Barnabas, in chapter 14, verse 27, declared to the church at Antioch how God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So what we want to see today in our theme from this passage is an open door for the advancing gospel. That's what we're going to see along the way. And it's something that I trust concerns and interests, all of you in the room today, for some of you coming here today and you have perhaps no genuine interest in the gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ and we trust you're here because the Lord means to open a door of faith in this very Savior within your heart this day. But kids, you can always even add it to your daily prayer list. Lord, open a door in my heart that the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ might advance within my soul. We want to pray, don't we, as members here at Redeemer Presbyterian Church, that God would open numerous doors in our lives as a congregation, in your lives, workplaces, schools, other places where you normally find yourself throughout the week. Open doors to see the gospel advance, even as we pray, don't we? Every Sunday morning in the... A Lord's Day service for open doors to come to other churches that are faithful in the area. Other churches in countries around the world. So an open door for an advancing gospel. That's our main theme this morning. You're going to see four open doors given in our text. You're going to see an open door for preaching, for suffering, for encouraging, and for praising. An open door for preaching is how the text begins in chapter 14. A few years ago, I was reading the memoirs of this Church of England cleric from a long time ago. And in one of his recollections, he said something like this. Whenever I read the book of Acts, wherever the Apostle Paul went, there was a riot or a revival. And then he said, quote, but wherever I go, they only serve me tea. (laughs) And he was winsomely and humorously wondering aloud about how powerful his ministry actually was for Jesus Christ in comparison to the apostle Paul and uh, we've seen already haven't we that when when Paul goes about preaching the gospel when this missionary team continues their work in faithfulness it seems true that a riot a revival is going to break out and many times both actually break out Because that's what happens. Notice they go to Iconium, verse 1. They spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. There's the revival. Now the riot, verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Uh, The word there in verse 2 for unbelieving, it's a word you can properly translate as disobedient. Because what is unbelief but disobedience? To the summons of Jesus Christ in the gospel to turn from your sin and a trust in the Savior. Uh, you might even look it upon your own life in a certain place and think, well, I'm, I'm struggling for belief. And that's true. But understanding the fullness of what you're struggling for is not just belief. You're struggling for obedience. God calls all people, no matter how old they are, boy, girl, man, woman, He calls all people to repent of their sins and to obey that summons of Jesus Christ to place their faith in him. But these disobedient Jews in verse 2, they're becoming like devils by poisoning. You see the text says their minds, that being the Gentiles, against this missionary team. A poisoning work is so effective, you'll see in verse 4, that the people of the city were divided. It's a place of great opposition. It's a place, no doubt, of uh, continuing intimidation. But in the face of such resistance, notice our missionaries in verse 3, uh, they remained there for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Bearing witness to Jesus Christ does often bring opposition, doesn't it? I'm sure a number of you in the room today, you you can think about the place in your life where you're striving to be faithful uh, to Jesus Christ, and it only seems to increase opposition, resistance. There might be others of you in the room today that are being obedient and faithful. It doesn't seem as though there's much opposition or resistance. And I wonder, though, when that opposition comes, because inevitably it will, students, at some point in your life, if you are faithful to God's word. Uh, Do you find strength in God's spirit to remain steadfast like this missionary team, to stay there for a long time, that you might be found not only faithful to his commission, but you might see the Lord Jesus Christ work his power into the lives of the people that he sends you forth. But the text tells us, doesn't it, that there are sometimes reasons why in wisdom and discernment that it's necessary to leave a place of resistance of opposition to go to a new field for ministry. And in this occasion there at Iconium, you'll notice in verse 4 and 5 that this missionary team finds out there's a plot for their execution, that there are plans that have been laid for their stoning. So you'll see what happens in verse 6. They learned of it. They fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country, And there they continued to preach the gospel. Because preaching the gospel is, of course, of first importance. God is opening a door for preaching. And now as they come to Lystra in the following part of the passage, God opens a door for suffering. Uh, Lystra, according to one commentator, was this backwater, rustic country community full of mountain dwellers. And if you know where the apostles were before, in Antioch and Pisidia, Uh, What you would actually find in the course of Paul's missionary journeys, uh, that even in his endeavors, he's proving the point of God's word, that the truth of Jesus Christ is for all peoples, in all places. He's been in major urban centers, and now he goes to like this backwater, rustic place, and it's there as he comes into the city. Notice what greets him, or who greets him, verse 8. There was a man in Lystra who could not use his feet, and he was crippled from birth, and he had never walked. Now, kids, if if you're familiar with the Gospels and Acts, when when a crippled man shows up in the text, you should expect that some miraculous display of God's power is getting ready to ensue, and that's precisely what ensues, but but notice in many reasons how it began. Verse 9, this man was listening to Paul speaking, looking at Paul intently was the idea. And... I hope you realize that listening to preaching, gospel truth, is an action of faith. We'll see in subsequent chapters, even in Acts, when Paul's preaching, that it's only the Spirit working faith in the heart that enables anyone to listen. And so Paul sees this man, he looks intently at him, he sees that this man is listening intently, And notice the miracle that comes in verse 9 through 10. Seeing that he had the faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice. Now, children, that's actually an ancient phrase. It just means something like megaphone. So think of Paul saying very authoritatively and very loud. He says, stand upright on your feet. And the man sprang up and began walking. It's quite like, isn't it, this other miracle we've already seen in in Acts chapter 3. For there, Peter was walking into the temple and saw this man, crippled from birth, at the gate called Beautiful. And it was there that this man, miraculously, at the summons of the apostle, he rose up and went about walking and leaping and praising God. And that miracle is actually this sign there of salvation done outside of the Jewish temple. That it was a sign of salvation that Jesus Christ and his salvation, it is something that is even offered to the Jews. But here you have a man, as the text continues, it shows us, he's seated outside a pagan temple, reminding us even in substance and shadow that the salvation of Jesus Christ belongs even to unbelieving Jews. Ancient sources would tell us some 50 years before the occasion of our text that a local legend began to circulate in Lystra. And it was the story of how the great Greek gods... Zeus and Hermes, years before, had come to Lystra. And they were dressed in the disguise of just an ordinary man or ordinary men. And they went about through the country of Lystra and they were looking for hospitality, a place to stay. And as that local legend went, hundreds and hundreds of homes uh, refused to receive them. Until at last, an old couple who had this tiny marsh cottage invited them in. And then what these Greek gods proceeded to do in an act of judgment upon the inhospitable people in Lystra, they destroyed all their homes and left only this tidy marsh cottage. And so in the ensuing decades, as best we can tell, the people there at Lystra were ever intent on, should Zeus and Hermes ever show up again, we're going to welcome them this time. And it actually helps you understand why what happens in the text happens. Because you notice what happens in this unexpected response of verse 11 through 14. They lifted up their voices, saying loudly in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus, Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker and the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city. He brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. And this unexpected response leads Paul to do what he always does, which is preach the gospel. But in this recorded sermon of Paul, which is the only one we have in all the Bible that was preached to illiterate unbelievers, what we see him do is something quite strikingly different than he seems to do in most of his other sermons. Because his ordinary pattern, we've already seen. It's one to go into a city, speak at the synagogue, to the Jewish people and prove in reason from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. But in what follows, he doesn't do any of that to these illiterate people in Lystra. What he uses is not the book of special, uh, special revelation, but it's the book of general revelation. As he says, God has left you a witness, those of you in my presence. He's left you a witness in the natural world. For you see what he says in verse 15, and following, he says, "'We bring you good news, "'that you should turn from these vain things "'to a living God who made the heaven and the earth "'and the sea and all that is in them. "'In past generations, he allowed the nations "'to walk in their own ways. "'Yet he did not leave himself without witness, "'for he did good by giving you grains, "'I'm sorry, rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, "'satisfying your hearts with food and gladness.'" That's why in his letter to the Romans, what does he say? But in that first chapter, that in the natural world, God has made his invisible attributes known so that all men are without excuse. Yes, sure, you people in Lystra, you've never heard the gospel preached to you before, but God has left a witness to his glory, to his majesty and his beauty. If you would but see these rains that fall from heaven, if you would see but these fruitful harvests that come from the earth, What you know is that God in his goodness and his his grace, he's speaking to you. And I want you to be encouraged even in your own life of sharing the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, What you'll see in Paul's ministry as he goes about his missionary journeys is he always gets to the same end. Which is calling people to faith and repentance as they look to Jesus Christ. But oftentimes the way he gets there can be different according to the group to whom he speaks with the Jews, it makes sense. He shows up in the synagogue and reasons from the Old Testament. To these unbelieving Gentiles, I can't even read God's word. What does he say? You know rain falls from heaven. You know fruit comes from the ground. And you know who actually is the true living God that brings such things. His name is Yahweh, who's revealed his glory in Jesus Christ. So in a very subtle way, but a very strong way, what Paul's doing in this simple sermon Of God has left a witness in the natural world. He's completely overturning the entire religious system of the people there at Lystra at the time. And you know, don't you, that God continues to leave witnesses to his glory and majesty throughout the natural world. I mean, here in North Texas, haven't we, seemingly for the entire summer of 2022, experienced nothing more than just heat and a dry drought. And then the Lord opens the heavens on Monday, doesn't he? And you might be annoyed because your plans are interrupted. You might be more like me and a little bit perturbed that now humidity will fall upon Texas in a unique way again. Or you might be thankful, children, that it's canceled a soccer practice that you don't have to go to in the evening. But how many of you, when you see the rain fall from the sky, say, yes, I know who sent that rain. I know who alone can provide that rain that we so desperately need. Or you can perhaps... Think about this provision of food in a way more akin to our context today. Kids, if your parents take you to the grocery store, what you have displayed before your very eyes is aisle after aisle. Not a food that you so desperately desire for your parents to buy, as much as you have God's provision, His kindness and His goodness and grace to meet your needs. And that's what he's saying here to the people in Lystra. But it's an open-door For suffering, not just an open door. For preaching, because notice verse 19. Jews came down from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Kids, I don't know if you've ever been at a like creek kind of area before playing with your friends, and maybe it's that time of year when the mosquitoes are out, and it seems like in your small group of uh, friends there, the mosquitoes only love one of the people playing there uh, at the creek. And it seems like in a similar way with the religious leaders in the Jewish world of where Paul was ministering, he was kind of the object and the only object of all of their fury and hatred and reviling, because they're so angry at Paul that they get up and walk these many, many miles from Antioch in Iconium to get all the way to now stone Paul. And what's striking is that you only get one more letter that I can recall in the New Testament where Paul even mentions the stoning. But you know that stoning is, is, a, is a brutal, it's a bloody way to die. And it happens to Paul with just this like passing phrase. Clearly, he was so bloodied and and brutalized that the Jews thought he was dead. Leave him alone. Drag him outside of the city. Throw him out on the heap. He's dead. But it's almost as though there's a resurrection scene that follows. Verse 20, when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up, entered the city, and on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe, where he did what he always did, which preached the gospel to that city. There's an open door for preaching. Is an open door for suffering, and now what we see in our passage as it continues is thirdly, an open door for encouraging, an open door for encouraging. Some of you may be like me when you were growing up in the church. I lived in a home and even lived in local churches or a member of local churches at the time that loved to tell all of these missionary stories from centuries past and Uh, One of the more famous ones that I can recall from my youth uh, was the story of the martyrdom of a man named Jim Elliott. Uh, Some of you know his name. In the 1950s, the Christian world uh, was taken with this story of this team of Americans that had gone down to a particular area in Ecuador to preach the gospel to an unreached Amazonian tribe. And this man, Jim Elliott, and four team members, and, and their efforts to reach this tribe, were speared to death by this tribe, and then uh, Jim Elliott's wife, uh, Elizabeth Elliott, uh, she decided to remain there in Ecuador with their 10-month-old daughter. In time, she actually went back to the United States for a brief moment, and then she went back to Ecuador. Because as she said in one of her journals, quote, I belong in the jungle. Even though friends and family couldn't understand why she would go back into this roaring lion's den of potential death. It's almost as though, Paul says, "I belong in these jungle-like cities, as you'll notice verse 21. He preaches the gospel, doesn't he, in the city of Derby, and then where does he go? Right back into the lion's den, the place where he was just stoned, the place where they wanted to stone him, the place where persecution drove him out of town. He goes right back, and why does he do it? Well, there's an open door for encouraging. You'll see that in verse 22 as the word there is his purpose was to strengthen the souls of the disciples. He goes back to these cities. He wants to strengthen. He wants to encourage these fledgling local churches. And you'll see in verse 22 and 23, there's three simple encouragements that he offers to these young churches. Encouragements that no doubt apply to still every Christian congregation today. Because you see, first of all, what we find out in verse 22 and 23 Is that God's people need true theology. Look at verse 22. Paul went about in Barnabas 2, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Now, students, it's important that you underscore that definite article there of the faith. something Paul will call in his other letters as the truth as it's found in Jesus Christ, or the tradition, or the teaching, or the good deposit. What, What healthy churches, what they need is the core central, simple, and sound doctrines that belong to God's revelation and his word. But it's not just they need true theology. You'll see also they need an enduring spirituality because he says that through many tribulations, the end of verse 22, we must enter the kingdom of God. It's, It's a phrase that should capture your attention for no small number of reasons. The phrase of we must is this divine decree that should completely change how you think about your life in Jesus Christ, some of you in here this morning, because it doesn't say we might enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. No, it says God has decreed in his divine providence that you must enter his kingdom through that narrow gate that is, of course, found in Jesus Christ, but it's on a path that's just like our Savior's. The cross before the crown. No one ever just saunters their way into God's kingdom. God's people must suffer their way into God's kingdom. You see, thirdly, it's not just this true theology and enduring spirituality. It's that God's people, according to verse 23, they need appointed authority. Because when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, Luke tells us, they committed them to the Lord in whom they have believed. I'm sure many of you have been in churches long enough to know that there are occasions when a local congregation will have to vote on something, and these things are often good. These things are often necessary. But I can assure you today, and I want you to think about it in this way. the most important vote you ever make in the life of this church and any other church to which you might join your life to, is, is appointing leaders. The single most important thing you ever decide on as a congregation is who will be your pastors? Who will be your elders? Who will be your deacons? And perhaps many of us, like these saints of old, need to have much more prayer and, and fasting in our appointing of authority as we do even here at Redeemer. So it's open door, preaching, encouraging, suffering. Briefly, here at the end, it's an open door, fourthly, for, for praising. Because the text tells us if you just scan your eyes through verse 24 through 26, they make it all the way back to the church at Antioch, this church that commissioned them at the beginning of chapter 13, ordained them, set them apart for missionary service. And much like it still happens today with missionaries, when they return, they give a report. And the missionary report in this passage is nothing more than praising God for what he had done over those many miles and throughout those many months. Notice verse 27 and 28 And when they arrived, they gathered the church together and declared all that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. That's what had happened. God had sent them forth, and He had done what He said He was going to do from centuries old prophecies bring a light for salvation to the Gentiles. And finally, It's breaking through into the darkness of these unbelieving cities, these unbelieving lands, among these unbelieving peoples. God's opened the door for his advancing gospel. Another missionary story that I recall is that of a Scotsman named George Scott. Uh, He, at some point, I think in his early adulthood, he had some disease strike his leg and they amputated it. And later on, he applied for missionary service in China, and the director who was interviewing him for his potential service in this place said, why do you think you can be a one-legged missionary? And he responded with earnestness, not kind of a cheeky comment as much as, I don't see any of the two-legged missionaries going anywhere. (laughs) And... As you see Acts continue, and Lord willing, in the coming months we study Acts continue in the advance of the gospel. We continue to see, don't we, as God sending forth His gospel to the nations, and we want to be a church, don't we, that participate in God's sending forth His gospel to the nations. Well, we do that, no doubt, as after the benediction and Lord's Day services, or you're sent out to be faithful ministers in your own place, workplace, school, even home and neighborhood, uh, you are faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ. We're sending out, aren't we, a lot of people uh, with a lot of financial support in just a few months to our second church plant in three years. We want to see more. We should. We want to see more people, individuals, and families go forth even to the nations with this advancing gospel. And what Acts is helping us understand is what we ought to expect when God sends us with that gospel that will advance throughout the world. And as we begin to close, what I want to do is just take this chapter in view and and tease out a few final meditations of what we can expect when the gospel advances in us, with us, and through us. So first of all, an advancing gospel brings the world's hostility. Brings the world's hostility. You'll see verse 19 once again, the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having persuaded the crowd. What you want to see there is that uh, those people who are previously enemies in their religious convictions, well now they're united in what? Their hatred for the preaching of Jesus Christ. When a gospel advances into communities, when the gospel advances into dark places in the world, you can rest assured that it's completely ordinary and it is quite expected that the world's hostility will come. So be not surprised if Such opposition and intimidation might even come, perhaps, in your own life. Number two, an advancing gospel exposes sinners' idolatry. If you go back to verse 15, you have this desire to treat Paul and Barnabas like Zeus and Hermes. And you see in verse 15 that Paul speaks out, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things, to a living God. And the vain things phrase there is actually a pregnant one throughout the Old Testament, it refers to the emptiness of idolatry. That idols promise these dreams on which they can never deliver. They're just empty of comfort that they say they can confirm. And whenever the gospel advances, what do we see? But don't we, that it tends to disrupt people's idols. It exposes their idolatry. You know, kids, I'm sure at your house that you don't have like a trinket table next to your bedside full of little idols. But we know the human heart is this assembly line of idols that we think will bring us true hope, true faith, and and true meaning. And an advancing gospel always exposes that. You'll see number three, that an advancing gospel declares Christ's mercy declares Christ mercy. If you go back to verse three, it's a wonderful phrase that we're told there that these missionaries are bearing witness to the word of his grace. Because in the sweep of these two chapters what you see in chapter thirteen, Christ is preached as the superior Savior. Here he's preached as the superior gift, and then even later on with this people in Lystra he's preached as the superior God. Uh, but the word of grace is the announcement that of course in Jesus Christ what you receive is a gift not something you deserve, not something you earn. And kids, I I would imagine that you enjoy receiving presents. Maybe it's on your birthday, maybe it's on a holiday, that you're eager to receive a gift. But the greatest gift that the gospel tells us any human being can ever receive is that gift of grace and mercy that's found in Jesus Christ. And I hope today that you're not the kind of person that thinks lightly of this gift that the eternal Son of God would take on the form of a servant, that he'd be obedient to the point of death on the cursed cross of Calvary, that you would receive this gift, that you wouldn't reject it or revile it like so many did. It declares Christ's mercy. Fourthly, finally, an advancing gospel depends on God's sovereignty. An advancing gospel depends on God's sovereignty. You notice what happens in this missionary report. Again, verse 27, Paul and Barnabas declared that God Or declared what God had done with him. And how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas had done a lot over those many months. Faithfully endured much over those many months. But they recognized that the appropriate way to praise God is, look at what God has done over these many miles. Through these many months. In us, with us, and through us. As he opened that door for the Gentiles' faith. So let us then be likewise found faithful, that in us, with us, and through us, God would open a door for preaching, for suffering, for encouraging, and for praising him, as he's revealed his glory in his Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we do ask that you would Open our hearts of this day to that mercy that is contained in your Son, Jesus Christ, the one from whom all blessings flow. Give us eager attention by the Spirit's power within us that our heart would be opened yet again with eyes of faith to the truth of Jesus Christ that even someone here today for the first time would have that open door put before their very eyes and they may walk through it to find the salvation found in your Son. And we pray all of these things in his precious name. Amen.